0: EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL index and Anfield index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or Red10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadewa. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on a cold Wednesday, the 14th of December, the night after the Lionel Messi show, as Argentina swept Croatia side 3-0 to reach this year's World Cup final. Messi scores the first from a penalty after Alvarez is fouled by Lavakovic, largely the fault of Dejan the Pebble-Lovren. Alvarez scores the second... Because Borna Sosa is like a piece of wet tissue paper. And Alvarez scores the third after a bit of messy genius and some appalling Dejan Lovren defending. Argentina deserved to go through. They were the better team on the night. They set the team up really well. Lionel Scaloni deserves a ton of credit. And if you want to hear more about that game, do have a quick listen to the World Cup Daily Pod on Anfield Index with myself and Carol Matchett. But suffice to say, Lionel Messi has been the star in the last couple of rounds. And Argentina are really starting to look like a formidable team, which is exact exactly what you want to look at Like if you are heading into the final. They're going to be really tough to beat. Really, really tough to beat. Um, today... We're going to talk a little bit about Garrett Southgate to begin with. So, as things stand, he is taking some time away to consider his future and consider whether or not he wants to continue as England manager. Now, Southgate has been England manager since 2016. In that time, he has managed England at two World Cups, got to the semi-final in 2018. Knocked out in the quarterfinal of this competition. He's also managed England in a European Championships. And, of course, they lost the final in that one. And, obviously, he's taken charge of Nations League. But Nations League is largely a load of nonsense. And England were relegated, it's worth pointing out, in the Nations League. uh, This past campaign, having finished third the previous time having beaten the mighty Switzerland 6-5 in a penalty shootout after a 0-0 draw. Southgate's record, when you step back and look at it and you just see World Cup semi-final, third place in the Nations League, for whatever that's worth, European Championship final, relegated from the Nations League, and then... World Cup quarterfinal is pretty good but when you actually dig into it, you start to see the real issues with it now we've been over these things before but it's worth going over them again in the 2018 World Cup England got a very straightforward, simple group they got Tunisia they got Panama, they got Belgium They're beating Tunisia and Panama. They're going through. The question is, can they beat Belgium? So they beat Tunisia 2-1 in the opening game. Very, very fortunate victory. And then they wallop Panama. But then they lose to Belgium. Now, it didn't matter because they were already through. So they didn't play a full strength team. You move on into the knockout stage. And they draw Colombia. And the game ends 1 1. And extra time doesn't produce a winner. And they win on penalties. It's a fairly average Cro- uh, Colombia team. Then they beat an average Sweden team 2 0. And then they face Croatia. And they lose 2 1. So they face two good teams, Belgium and Croatia, and lost to both. One okay team in Colombia and they drew. And then three, well, two average teams in Sweden and Tunisia and one poor team in Panama. See, you think, right, surely you're going to go into the third and fourth place playoff and you're going to try and win this game. You want to finish third at the World Cup. If you're not going to win it, you want to finish third. And Belgium beat them comfortably. So they face three good teams in the tournament. Well, two, one of them twice, and lose all three. And you're left to wonder, what is it about this World Cup run that you're meant to be impressed by? We'll stick with World Cups, and we'll look at this World Cup, and it's a very straightforward group that they were expected to walk their way through, and they beat Iran comfortably in a Iran team that were in disarray because of what's going on. At home, you'd wonder if Iran had played in this game the way they did in the latter two games, how that game might have turned out. I I still think England win, but certainly not 6-2. Then they get outplayed by the United States of America and they end up drawing that game. And then they beat a bad Welsh team. Now, they beat a bad Welsh team 3-0, having been awful in the first half themselves. They beat Iran 6-2, having been quite poor in the first 35 minutes. And they draw with the United States having been absolutely terrible for about 65 minutes. And it was only when America started to tire that England started to look like a half-decent team. We go into the knockout phase and they play Senegal. Now, Senegal are the reigning Afghan champions, but Senegal were missing chek Koyate. They were missing Idrissa Ghanage. They were missing Sadio Mane. They were missing Kieta Balde. They were also missing Bounassar. Edward Mendy was in outstanding form last January at the AFCON. That form has collapsed. He's been dreadful this season in the Premier League for Chelsea to the point where Kepa, who's widely viewed as one of the biggest flops of all time and whose Chelsea career looked to have ended two years ago, re-established himself as first choice and Mendy only got back in because Kepa got hurt. So you win 3-0. You don't play well for 35 minutes again. But you win 3-0. You want to hold that up as a great achievement, or at least Oli Holt does. If they'd lost that game, there would have been immediate calls for Southgate to go. So you can't use that game as evidence that you've had a good tournament. The first good team they play is France, and they lose 2-1. Now, they played well in that game. You could argue it's the best England performance in the tournament. But they lost, and they didn't create anything of note. The only big chance they had an open play came from a deal of open error, not from anything England themselves actually did. So we look at the euros. Well, how did they do in the euros? They got to the final, okay, Who did they beat? What did they do? What did the run look like? Well, their group. Was Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland. So, first up, they beat Croatia. That's a good win. Croatia just finished third at a World Cup three years prior to this. Largely the same team. They draw nil nil with Scotland. They beat the Czech Republic. Czech Republic are fairly average, Scotland are fairly poor. You go into the knockout phase. And they beat Germany 2-0. And on paper, that looks like a good result. But when you actually dig into it, it's a very, very mediocre German team. In the quarterfinals, then, they play Ukraine. Let's be fair. Ukraine are not good. But England do absolutely batter them. So credit there. Then they played Denmark. Fairly average team. Inspired by the fact that they lost their best player and almost lost him for good when Christian Eriksson had his cardiac arrest in their opening game they had galvanised as a result of that and and overperformed significantly had England sorry had Denmark lost in the quarterfinals England would play the Czech Republic who they'd already beaten so they were going through regardless Um, it took extra time but on to the final they went where they played Italy the game ends 1-1 and we 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 hear italy and we think well that's a good team but this italian team didn't qualify for the world cup how good were they italy beat them on penalties so three tournaments the two most noteworthy wins Germany and Croatia. But again, a very average German team. Croatia are a good team. So that's their best win, Croatia, in the group stage of the European Championship. There isn't a standout good win in either of the World Cup campaigns. So you can't really get too overly excited by... What they've done, you can admire the fact they got deep into competitions, but it's not like they were beating a who's who. Now they did have some good results in the Nations League, so you'll give we'll give them some credit in the Nations League. In League A, which is the the league they were in, the the top league, they were in Group Four. They lost to Spain. They drew with Croatia. Then they beat Spain 3-2 away from home. And then they beat Croatia 2-1 at home. And that resulted in them topping the group with seven points. That sent them through to the semi-final. Where they lost to the Netherlands 3-1. And then as I mentioned they beat Switzerland. 6-5 on penalties. Uh, Jordan Pickford took one of the first five penalties which will tell you quite a lot next up then they once again are in the top league they're in group two they beat Iceland they draw with Denmark they beat Belgium that's a good win They lose to Denmark, they lose to Belgium, and then they beat Iceland. They finish third in that group. And then this time around, they're in group three. They lose to Hungary. They draw with Germany. They draw with Italy. They get hammered by Hungary. They lose to Italy. And they draw with Germany. And they finished bottom. And again, that's an average German team. Uh, it's Hungary. And it's an Italian team that did not make the World Cup. That's really poor. So he's progressively, in my view, gotten worse. Uh, it's certainly in Nations League play, in the three times they've been in that competition, under his watch, they've gotten worse each passing go. I think it's fair to say that the failure to win the Euros is a disappointment because Italy have been shown to be no great shakes. You go one up that early in a game and then allow Italy to just take control of the game when you should be ramming home your advantage. It's just disappointing. You get to any final, you deserve some praise, but For me, that was there to be won. You had every advantage possible. The game was at home. Your fans were there. In their tens of thousands. And you fail. And to be honest, unless you win a competition, you have failed in that competition. So I don't want to hear that they were runners-up and fourth and whatever else. They failed in every competition. Gareth Southgate hasn't had success with England. People keep saying he's the most successful manager since Alf Ramsey. In what way? He hasn't won anything. He hasn't won a thing. Oh, I tell a lie. They got a bronze medal in the Nations League. Congrats. Congrats, a bronze medal in the Nations League. Is that what England are about? Like, what happened to British excellence? Every England manager since '66 has failed. That's just how it is. If you don't win the competitions, you are a failure. And England have failed time and time and time again. And this time around, Southgate has a lot more talent at his disposal than previous managers have had. He chooses not to take advantage of most of it. Like you look at that England squad and there's players who have absolutely no business being in the England squad. And there they are. While better players sit at home. Because Southgate plays favourites. This notion of bringing players because they're good in the dressing room and good in the training ground is nonsense. It just shows that you're a weak manager who can't lead your squad yourself. So you need all these extra pillars in place. There's nobody in the Argentine squad who's there for the crack, there's no one in the French squad who's there because they're funny. But Connor Cody was brought along because he's a good personality. Not because he's a good player, because nobody would ever accuse Connor Cody of being a good football player, other than Everton fans, but like, you know. But he was brought along instead of, say, for Kyle Tomori, who's a significantly better player. Mark Wehi, who's a significantly better player. You see, when you start giving up precious places in World Cup squads to players that aren't good enough. When you have players who are good enough, then you have problems. When you start bringing players to tournaments that you have no intention of playing, Cody being one, but James Madison being another, for a completely different reason. He brought Madison because public pressure demanded that he bring Madison. Because James Madison has been absolutely outstanding for Leicester for 18 months and is the type of creative goal-scoring midfielder that England are crying out for and he didn't play in the World Cup. He has the world's best right back at his disposal and he's the third choice right back who likely wouldn't have made the squad if Rhys James had been fit. Because he doesn't know how to use him. Because he's not a good manager. If England want to win anything, Southgate will have to go. But the FA want to keep him, largely because he's cheap. And his friends in the media want him to stay because they're his friends in the media. Journalists want him to stay, some of them, not all, but some of them, because he's always open to giving an interview. Because he gives access. And because the FA want him to stay and they want to be part of the PR machine. And then the question becomes, well, who replaces them? Well, there's obvious candidates, Thomas Tuchel, Murcia Pochettino. But we can't have obvious candidates, can we? We can't have significantly better managers available that people can point to. No, no, we changed the rules. We say oh, but the England manager should be English. Why? Show me the rule that says they should be English. If Pep takes the Brazil job at some point, are people going to say, oh, that's a disgrace? Or are people going to say, oh, this could be fun? I think they're going to say it could be fun. You see, the only... Argument to make for the England manager should be English is that you want Garrett Southgate to stay and you know that right now there are not many, if any, top-level English managers. We've got Eddie Howe and Graham Potter. How good they are remains to be seen. And that's kind of it. So there's why people make the argument that the English manager should be English or why they're making it right now. Why Carragher is making it right now. while that simpleton in the telegraph is making it right now. It's because if they were open to a foreigner, there's very clearly better options for England than Southgate. If they bang the drum that it has to be an English person, there isn't, because let's be fair, Eddie Howe's not walking away from all that money at Newcastle. And Graham Potter is not going to walk away having signed a big long contract at Chelsea. I believe Southgate should go if England want to win anything. This squad is immensely talented. We've been over the players. Everybody knows the players. We watched them on a weekly basis in the Premier League. This squad is only going to get better over the next couple of years as the likes of Jude Bellingham, Bikai Saka, and Phil Foden, who really should sort of be the players that England build around for the next decade as they develop and age and mature. But if you kick the can down the road on Southgate you waste the last couple of years of Harry Kane's England career. And if we project ourselves forward to the next World Cup you can start to see an England squad take shape. Perhaps Etienne Green is in goal, Trent or Rhys James at right back. Maybe it's Ben Chilwell, maybe it's Ryan Sessignon, maybe it's Tyreek Mitchell at left back. Tomore Gwehi. Maybe Levi Colwell is in that mix. Maybe Ezri Conza refines his best form. Maybe there's a young centre back who steps forward and takes one of those positions. But England will be okay at centre back. In a midfield you can you can picture Declan Rice, you can picture Jude Bellingham. But who's that third one gonna be? Is it Mason Mount? Didn't really work in this competition, but maybe in four years. Maybe James Madison is more trusted. Maybe Jude Bellingham is more rounded and more able to play in a double pivot. Maybe Declan Rice gets some defensive awareness between now and then. Maybe they can play as a two at Madison as a 10. Maybe there's somebody else that comes along. Maybe James McAtee develops the Manchester City player. Maybe Cole Palmer develops also at City. Maybe Charlie Patino of Arsenal takes a big step forward. That kid has all the talent in the world. But you can picture an England midfield. You've got Saka on one side. You've got Foden on the other. Maybe Foden's the 10 in front of Bellingham and Rice. Maybe Jaden Sancho's gotten his career back on track and he's taken a wide role. Maybe Michael Elise decides to play for England rather than France. And he takes one of those positions. But up front is where it gets sketchy. Up front is where you really kind of struggle to see who that player might be. Post Harry Kane, who's the guy taking that number nine shirt? Who's the guy that's going to score the goals? It's not Marcus Rashford. Just isn't. It's not his game. He's not a number nine. Wasn't developed that way. Could it be Tammy Abraham, Ivan Tony, Ollie Watkins? They're all good players. Calvert-Lewin's a good player. They're all good players. They're not great players. They're not great, great players. They're not reliable 25 goals a season type of strikers. Harry Kane is one of the great strikers of his generation. Of his actual generation, say, ages currently 26 to 30, he's probably the best in the world. Um the likes of Benzema and Lewandowski are that bit older, and you, you can argue that he's a, a better all round player than Lawandowski. And you, you wouldn't be wrong. He's a better player than the likes of Haaland. He doesn't he won't score as many goals as Holland because Haland's a weird freak of nature, but he's a better player than, than Erling Haaland. But can we see Harry Kane playing for England in four years? Because I don't I don't think we will. I don't know that his his body with the injuries that he's had will age well enough for him to still be good enough to play for England in four years. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think I am. So the window for England with Kane is the next Euros. The problem for that is, if we look at the England squad, the, the England team that played against France... I'd imagine it looks very similar in two years. I think Walker might be gone with Reese James at right back. I think the rest of the defence remains the same. I think Pickford remains the same. Henderson will be gone. but So Calvin Phillips maybe steps into midfield. Is that a team that wins? It's, be- it's better than what we saw against France. James is better than Walker. Phillips is a lot better than Henderson. It's better than what we saw against France. Is it good enough to go and win a competition, though? I don't know if it is not under that manager, not under that manager under somebody else like a Pochettino, probably, probably what we've seen in this tournament is that managers who have a real game plan, a solid defensive structure, but an aggressive pressing structure on top of it. They're the managers having success. The managers who are willing to make the big changes, they're the ones having success. Southgate didn't make any changes. Trippier started the World Cup only because Walker wasn't fit. Walker was always coming back in. The rest of the back four remained the same. The goalkeeper remained the same. He dropped Mason Mount and brought in Jordan Henderson. There's no bravery there. You're just bringing in your safety blanket. And Foden took Sterling's place because Sterling went home to deal with the break-in in in his home. So two of the changes, one was always happening. The other was forced on him by a set of circumstances back home. And the other one's a safety blanket move. There's no bravery in anything Gareth Southgate did at this World Cup, other than the fact that he didn't revert to his back seven to play France. So the bravest thing he did was not be an outright coward, but he is a footballing coward. Fundamentally, he's a footballing coward. That's why he waited so long to make changes in the France game and why he made the changes that he made. The game screaming out for Trent and Madison. He doesn't even look at them. For me, he needs to go. And I'd be offering Pochettino the biggest bag of money he's ever seen in his life to get him in the door. Him over Tuchel, for me, for that job. I think Tuchel's a better manager. I think Pochettino's better suited to that job. I think he might be better suited to international management in general. But I think he's definitely better suited to that job. We will take a break. When we come back, we have Southampton... We have news. We have gossip. We'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So, Southampton Football Club in the 22-23 season. It's been a bit of a slog for them. They're currently 19th in the league. They sacked Ralph Hassnoodle on the 7th of November and replaced him with Nathan Jones. Uh, Nathan Jones, who has done very well in two spells at Luton, did a dreadful job at Stoke in between them. I don't know how good a manager he is. If we base it on his time at Luton, he's pretty good. If we base it on his time at Luton and Stoke, he's just about average. At Stoke, he was in charge for 38 games and won 6, while losing 17, a 15.8% win percentage. In his first spell at Luton, he won 51%, in the second spell just under 41%, but in a higher division, so He took Luton from League 2 into the Championship. That's impressive. They might have finished off that season where they got promoted without him, but he was the one that built that first team. So he found them in the doldrums, and, and Luton now are a respectable team in the Championship. They're not clinging on for dear life or anything like that. And He's had such a big part in that. They've revamped their recruitment and done different things as well that have also helped, but He's done a good job at Luton, yet you have to give him credit for it. Whether he's good enough to manage in the Premier League, I don't know. And he's got a big job on here. In league play, they lost 4-1 to Spurs on the opening day, having gone one up. Then they drew 2-2 with Leeds, which was impressive because they went 2-0 behind. Though it was at home, and any points dropped at home should be disappointing to you. They went and beat Leicester 2-1 away. Having gone 1-0 behind, they showed great fight and courage to come back. Then they lost 1-0 at home to Manchester United, a game in which they were the better team and should have gotten something. Then they beat Chelsea 2-1. Again, they went behind but came back. Then they had a really bad run. They lost 1-0 to Wolves. They lost 1-0 to Southampton. They lost 2-1 at home. Sorry, they lost 1-0 to Villa. They lost 2-1 at home to Everton. Then they got walloped by City. Then they got a one-one draw with West Ham, which was a good result. Uh, then they got, although again at home, some you know maybe not. Then they got a one 0 win away to Bournemouth, which was a good result, uh, and then a one-one draw at home at Arsenal. Now that I will class as a good result because Arsenal top of the league, but they've lost their last three. They lost to Southampton. They why have I said Southampton again? They've lost to Crystal Palace. They got hammered by Newcastle, and that was the game that saw the end of Hasenhutl. And then they lost to Liverpool in their last game before the break. They are still in the EFL Cup. They beat Cambridge 3-0, and they beat Sheffield Wednesday after a 1-1 draw. They beat them on penalties. Currently, like I said, they sit 19th in the league. They've scored 13 goals. They've conceded twenty-seven. Now, neither of those numbers are all that surprising. The 13 isn't surprising because they don't have a number nine. There's no natural goal scorer in this team. No real focal point in this team. The 27 isn't all that surprising because they've got young defenders. Now, if we look at what they did in the summer, you have to really admire the players, the the work they did and the players they brought in. Gavin Basunu, I think he's a very good young goalkeeper. I am biased towards him because he's our goalkeeper. He's our national team goalkeeper, but he is very good. Armel Belakotchip, I think, has impressed most people this season. Really good signing. Romeo Lavia has impressed everybody who's watched him. Really good signing. Joe aribo has been a bit hit and miss. I think the, the jump from... Scottish Premiership to the Premier League has, has been a bit telling for him. Seiko Mara has, in flashes, looked quite good. Uh, Dijakaleta Carr has been a bit hit and miss, but he hasn't had time to fully settle in yet. Samuel Adosi, in brief sub appearances, has looked good. And Juan Larios, young left back, Looks a talent for sure. Now the notable thing is that four of those players were brought in from Manchester City's basically their academy. Basunu, Lavia, Edozi, and Larius. They also brought in Ainsley, Maitland, Niles on loan from Arsenal. I think that was a clever move. They lost Ariel Romeo. They lost Nathan Redmond. They lost Jan Valery. You're not losing a whole lot other than experience with that group. They loaned out a bunch of players, but you know that's just what happens. And they released Shane Long and Frazier Forster. And again, you're not losing much from a playing point of view, but you're losing that experience and that leadership in addressing them. When we look at their squad, there's absolutely enough talent here to stay up. There absolutely is enough talent to stay up. Visunu... Alex McCarthy, Willie Caballero. It's a strong goalkeeping group. You've got a really good starter in Basuna. You've got two veterans in McCarthy and Caballero. Now, not necessarily players that you would want to put in your team, but they're good presences to have around. They'll be good mentors for Basuna. Defensively, at right back, they've got Walker Peters and Tino Livermento, who should be back in January and I think will be a big boost to them. Left-backs, they've got Roman Perrault, Juan Larios, who can also play right-back, it should be pointed out, and Thierry Small, who's a talented young left-back that they brought in from Everton, I think, a year or two ago. At centre-back, they've got Salisu, Bela Kochop, Kaleta and Lyanko. So defensively, I think they're actually really well off. I think they've got five good young fullbacks and four good centre-backs. Now, Lyanko and Coleta Carr, I'm not saying I would want them starting every week for my team, but if you had to start them, you wouldn't be all that concerned. They've got great flexibility in this defence in that all of their fullbacks can also operate as wing-backs and all of their centre-backs can play in a two or a three. So that's, that's strong. Now, the goals conceded record isn't good, but Walker-Peters is 25, Lianco's 25, Kaleta-Kar is 26, Perot is 25, Small is 18, Livermento's 20, Salisu's 23, Larios is 18, and Belakotchup is 21. So it is a very young group of defenders. Like, Dujic is the oldest defender in that group, and he's not an old player. In midfield, they've got Maitland-Niles. He's a player that I like. He can also obviously fill in a fullback as well. He's very, very versatile. You've got rebo, You've got the club captain, James Ward-Prowse. You've got Stuart Armstrong. You've got Ibrahim Diallo. And you've got Romeo Lavia. They're all players that can play in a midfield too. Some of them can play more advanced as well. A- rebo and Armstrong primarily play more advanced. I think in terms of starter quality players, you're looking at Lavia, Diallo, maitland niles ward Price. in terms of starting quality players in those midfield two positions. Now, bear in mind, Nathan Jones may well implement a different setup. He'll want to do his own thing here. So it won't be the same box midfield. But maybe he goes with the same kind of back five he played against Liverpool in his first game in charge. If he does, they've got the centre-backs to do it, no doubt. They've got the full-backs to be wing-backs to do it, no question there. So that's going to be good shape. So he needs three in midfield. Now, if we assume that Ward-Prowse and Lavia are two of them, Maybe Maitland-Niles is the other. Or maybe it's Diallo. There's not a whole lot of creativity there in open play. Ward-Prowse, as I've said before, is a bit of a nothing player in open play. He's a good crosser of the ball. But he's not a creative player. He's not going to unlock a defense. Incredible set pieces, but in open play, it's just not there for him. So you might want to look at bringing somebody in in January to play in midfield. If he's going to play two up front, it may be that he has to do a one and one so he might have to play someone like an Arebo or an Armstrong, or they might just factor into his midfield thinking. Um, he's got Musa Gineppo, he's got Adozi, he's got al They're primarily wingers, obviously. In terms of actual forwards, he's got Walcott, he's got Mara, He's got Armstrong, Adam Armstrong, and he's got Che Adams. There's no goal scorer there. I mean, the top scorer for the club from the current squad is James Ward Prowse, who scored 46 goals in 380 appearances. After him, it's Che Adams, who's basically one in five, 27 in 125, and Stuart Armstrong, who's got 18 in 150, which is. Worse than one in seven, but better than one in eight. Not by much, but close enough. Is it better than one in eight? It's not. It is one in eight. He's a one in eight player, so that you're not gonna you're not gonna score enough goals. Adam Armstrong has spent big money on he's got three goals in forty four games. At the club. Sekumar is yet to score in eleven games. Uh, El Giannassi's got 8 in 68. Theo Walcott's got 8 in 62 since coming back. There's just not enough goals in the team. So for me, the primary thing they need to do in January is go and find someone who's going to score goals. Finding that player in England is going to be tough because teams don't want to give up their strikers. Uh, one guy who might have been an option was Armando Broja. Unfortunately, his season is over. He he tore his uh his ACL. He'd obviously been there on loan last season. He has yet to show that he's a big time scorer, but he profiles as someone that should be. But he's he's off the table now, so they've got to go and find somebody who can get them consistent goals because everything else is kind of there they've got depth in defence quality starters depth in midfield mostly quality starters there's yeah, like I say you, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be at a line to suggest they could bring in one starter in midfield and they've got a bunch of good support strikers like Adams off a striker Armstrong off a striker, Mara off a striker, Al-Yunassi, Adozi, Gineppo, all these off a striker, they're all good players in that role, but they don't have that striker. Che Adams has been miscast in that role. Remember, Che Adams, when he came through the Sheffield United account, was a midfielder. He wasn't a striker. He went to Birmingham, they converted him, and he had one great season in his third year there, But the goal return is not there for him, not at this level. So they need to find a striker. Now, it's an awful shame that Eddie Nketiah was foolish in the summer and signed that new deal with Arsenal. Because I think him in this team would do very well. But they've got to go and find that person in January. And I don't know who it is. But they've got to go and find that one person. That one goal scorer who can get them over the the remaining, what have we got? 23 games? They need someone that's going to get them 12 to 14 goals. And then they need others to step up as well. But they need to get a goal scorer. They also need to tighten things up at the back. And I think Jones should do a fairly good job of that. Um Hasan Hootle kind of left defending as an optional like an optional extra for his players after the you know the pressing and the running a lot. Uh defending was something they could do, but he wasn't necessarily going to kill them if they didn't. But if we look at, say, last season with Luton in the um in the championship, they the 55 goals, which isn't great. It's actually far worse than I thought it was going to be. Let's see. In fairness, in fairness, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, it's the 11th best defense. I'm in the league. I'm not even going to try and make out that it was good. Uh, I will say that he didn't have quality of defenders there that he has here, but at the same time, I, I, that's that's still a fairly appalling defensive record. 52 conceded the year before, um, which, again, not great. Let's go back another year. Chiefs they conceded 82 goals in their first year in the championship. Well, maybe Nathan Jones is not the man to fix these problems. Uh but he can't be as he can't be as wide open defensively as Hassan Hutt was. He just can't. Just it's just not possible. The only person who is, is Bielsa. Um I I don't know if Nathan Jones is a good manager, is the truth of it. So we'll wait and see. But you you've, you've got to go and find a goal scorer. I, what I do know is you need to get yourself a goal scorer in January. Or you're in serious trouble. Serious trouble. Right. Let's do the news. Um, Mikel Arteta says Ben White is in really good shape after early World Cup exit. So Ben White didn't play in England's first two games. Was ill... For the Welsh game. And then left the squad and came home. And no explanation has been given. As to what the personal reasons were. But the fact that he played for Arsenal. In Dubai. Yesterday. Suggests that. Whatever the personal reasons were. He could very easily have flown back to Qatar. To play for England. Or to be with England. Which suggests that he didn't want to. Which suggests that perhaps. There was some sort of falling out. Now. Arteta says. Asked about the stories questioning White's character. Arteta says we can't control that. So it is out there. That that there may have been a falling out between Ben White And somebody in the England camp. Who that was, I don't know. What I do know is we need to know the truth as to why Ben White left the England squad. Can't be covered up. Now, if it is a really personal matter that he doesn't want to discuss, then fair enough. But if there has been a falling out, I think people should know about it. If he's misbehaved and been sent home, I think people should know about it. I think he, like Madison and Trent, was only really called up due to public pressure. Uh, He he didn't really have a case. He's been decent at right back for Arsenal this year, but he wasn't going to play right back for England. So he was called up as a centre-back. Can't get a game at centre-back for his own club. Lionel Messi says the World Cup final will be his last game at World Cup's. He is currently leading the Golden Boot Race alongside Kylian Mbappe, and I would imagine they're both in contention for player of the tournament as well. Uh, He's one of only five men to finish, I'm sorry, to play at, sorry, he's one of only six men to play at five World Cups. Lothar Mateus, uh, his World Cup legacy is maybe the best ever. Cristiano Ronaldo, His World Cup legacy is an absolute farce. Antonio Carbio, Andreas Guadardo and Rafael Marquez of Mexico, part of that kind of golden generation of Mexican football. They don't play for a nation that were ever going to win the World Cup. So their legacy was getting the World Cup. So credit to them. Messi has 97 goals in 172 games for Argentina. Now, bear in mind, he said he's retiring from World Cups. He hasn't said this will be his last game for Argentina. I do wonder if they win it, if he might just call it a day. If they win this World Cup, he might just say, that's that's me. Thank you very much. I'm done. I'll just focus on club football for a while. But... I'll be interested to see what he does in terms of the Copa in 2024 um they're the defending champions will he want to go and defend that title he was unbelievable last night absolutely unbelievable and if you haven't seen the, the footage of the fans celebrating in Buenos Aires, please go and look at it. It's incredible. Eric Ten Hag not sure when Jaden Sancho will return to first team duties. Sancho made an impressive start to the season, scoring three times before the September international break. But Ten Hag says he saw a marked dip in the players' form of confidence as he was not selected for England's nation in league games. In the autumn, something sometimes there are circumstances with fitness and mood he was not in the right status or fitness state um to be fair, Sancho has been largely dreadful since joining united uh they're saying he's on a physical programme. The aim is to get him back as quickly as possible. He's been sick a lot. It's the other thing I've noticed he's been sick a lot since joining um Arsenal. So maybe he needs to, you know, get on a, a good multivitamin or something. Um, Sancho's incredibly gifted. Incredibly gifted. United don't set up in a way that's going to get the best out of him. And the presence of Garnacho makes it quite difficult for Sancho. Because if Garnacho is going to be the player he looks like he might be, I don't know where Sancho starts because Garnacho is going to play left wing. The fidget spinner will play right wing and then Bruno will be the 10. So where does that leave Sancho? And Rashford's been more effective than Sancho from the left as well. Belgium are looking for a serial winner to take over as head coach. Now that serial loser Roberto Martinez has stepped down. This is tough. I don't know who they turn to. I wonder, might they look at Thomas Tuchel? But, I mean, if they do, Romelu Lukaku probably just needs to retire. Could they look at Pochettino? Would they be interested in that job? It's kind of a rebuild because Hazard's retired. You'd imagine that's the end of Vertonghen and Alderweireld and Witzel as well. De Bruyne is sticking around, but you've got to deal with the De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois nonsense as well, which isn't great. Um, Describing its ideal manager, the Belgian FA, or the Royal Belgian FA, it should be said, uh, said he is a serial winner with experience in managing top players. He knows how to focus on creating a close-knit group and how to integrate young players. The Football Association is looking for a tactical expert who supports his choices with data technology and objective parameters and draws on or BFA's sporting experience and structure. So it kind of sounds like they want someone who's also going to be a bit of a patsy and who, who, you know, make them feel important. Um, it also just sounds like a job advert that you might stick up on indeed or send into manpower or something. (laughs) uh, That's bizarre. Um, the deadline for applications is the 10th of January. Maybe it is up on Indeed. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, what a nonsense. What an absolute nonsense. It's literally up on the web. It's up on the website, look. Oh, this is great. Selection process for head coach of the Belgian Red Devils starts... This is magnificent. They're also looking for a sports director of elite football. Probably should have got that person before you get your head coach, you know, and have them involved in the process of appointing a head coach. It's magnificent. Right, we will do the gossip and be done for the day. Borussia Dortmund midfielder Jude Bellingham is a long-term target for Liverpool, but they're also planning a January move for a lower-profile midfielder with the potential to become a first-team regular. That's from Football Insider's words that mean absolutely nothing. After watching his performance in the World Cup, Real Madrid now feel it will be worth the effort to pursue a deal for Bellingham, while Liverpool close in on a move for Enzo Fernandez. If they get Bellingham and we get Enzo, I'm happy. Because I would prefer Enzo. I'd obviously want both of them because I'm selfish like that, but I would prefer Enzo. Manchester City's Norwegian striker, Erling Haaland is no longer on Real Madrid's list of future targets with Brazilian forward Endrick having joined them from Palmeiras. That's nonsense. Um, Endrick joining, he won't join till 2024 when he's 18. That's not going to stop you going after Haaland, who'll be 24 at that point and probably entering his prime. Barcelona have not held negotiations with Lionel Messi about a return to the club. It would make sense for him to go back there, but again, I also think he's probably going to go to America at some point. So, you know, it would make sense from a if he's going back to retire, but I think he's going to go play in MLS because I think they're going to give him his own franchise. Not immediately. I think he'll get a Beckham-type deal. Uh, once again, a quick plug for Grant Wall's book, The Beckham Experiment. I, I do highly recommend it. And tension is growing between Cristiano Ronaldo and his agent, George Mendes, over the uncertainty about his future. Uh, Mendes has tried to flog him to everybody and nobody wants him. Al coach coach Rudy, Rudy Garcia <coughs> would welcome the chance to work with Ronaldo of course he would. Ronaldo will not retire from international football, even if Fernando Santos remains his coach. The only reason he's still in the team is because Fernando Santos has remained his, coached, remained his coach. Any other manager would have dropped him a year ago. He should retire from international football, though. He's done. But he's going to hang around selfishly just try and score a few more goals. It a brave manager needs to walk in and just tell him it's you're you're done, it's over. Roma coach Jose Mourinho is at the top of Portugal's list of candidates to succeed Santos. I would love to see that. I would. But I think he's doing a decent job at Roma, to be fair. Tottenham are interested in signing Will Zaha on a free transfer this summer. Chelsea are looking to sign a new striker because of the Broglie injury. Uh, Manchester United are yet to follow Chelsea in registering any interest for Rafael Leao. centre-back Luzau arrived at England for a medical with West Ham but he is not the only 20-year-old the Hammers hope to sign from Sao Paulo as they begin talks over a deal for defensive midfielder Pablo Maia that's an interesting one that is an interesting one he's a good player Hmm. interesting Fulham have shown interest in signing Rick Harris on loan from Roma with an obligation to buy upon reaching certain conditions, I mean those conditions would be staying in the division Uh, Barcelona view Alan Varela of Boca Juniors as a potential replacement for Sergio Busquets, he's really good he's really good, he's a name to keep an eye on he's 21, ball winning midfielder, really really good uh, Bayern Munich held talks with Dinamo Zagreb about Croatia's World Cup goalkeeper Dominic Livakovic, but decided to look elsewhere for a replacement for Manuel Nower, who's been ruled out for the rest of the season after breaking his leg while skiing. Rangers have agreed a new four-year deal with Leon King after the Scottish centre-back received multiple offers from Premier League clubs. He's only 18, he's got a big future, it's good to tie him down. Leeds are closing in on the signing of George Hall, who's also 18, from Birmingham City. It would be a good signing. He's a talented player. And that's it. That's me for today, folks. Thank you, as always. And I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.